My scripture this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Uh, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's actually paid, found on page 146. Uh, if you'd like to follow along as I read aloud. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. I really wish Paul would have made this simpler. It's one of those moments that you get to see Paul being an extremely academic, intellectual thinking person and he puts a lot of words in the midst of this. And what he's really doing is a practice of midrash. For those of you that have been in my Bible studies, I always talk about midrash as a good way to look at it is, is the question, what if? The issue here is Paul has decided to flip the script a little bit and says, well, because of one this happens. So, he's not only paralleling the vision in Genesis chapter 2 and Matthew 4, but Paul has both stories in mind. It's as if he's teaching our epistle lesson today. Paul makes a connection between Adam and Christ. Now, Adam stands in the Midrash as the human representative who brought sin into the world through disobedience in the garden. I've always found it fascinating how he looks at the impact between both Adam and Christ. Through the first action, the impact is universal and deadly. Many have died, is what he says. But with the actions of the second one, many have come to life. Abounded for the many, he says. So, with Adam comes death. 
with Jesus comes grace. With Adam comes condemnation. With Jesus comes justification. I really appreciate where Paul is coming from here. So let's talk about how this works with us today. Lent is a complicated conversation. We know that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasted, and during that time frame, in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that he was tempted by Satan, and everything that he was tempted about was about things of humanity, power, safety, dominion. You see, there are two truths when we really look at Lent. One is we got to recognize what sin is. It's systemic. It's deep within our being. It's, it's in our DNA. And it's pervasive. And, and, it, and, and frankly, it impacts all of humanity, whether we want it to believe it or not. And Paul recognizes it, that it holds us captive. Paul looks at it as sin is one distortion that we can't overcome. We cannot redeem ourselves, Paul would say. Well, frankly, because you lack the power. So Lent really becomes a time, and this is the part I want you to take from today, that Lent becomes a time of self-examination. Who am I? Why do I do the things that I do? I have to look at sin for what it is. I'm a sinful person. There's no way I can ex escape it. Self-examination during Lent gives me the ability to say, uh, because of sin, though, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to work differently. I'm going to act differently. Because as Paul said, you've been justified by grace. I guess where I'm going with this is, is it's not important for the self-examination to wallow in one's sin but to make acknowledgement of it. The second truth of Lent is, is that because of this, Jesus breaks the canceled power of the canceled sin and sets us free. So while one aspect of it is self-reflection and examination, the other part of Lent is it's celebratory. You might think of it this way. When Jesus is talking to people on the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, he says... Well, do not make your faces, you know, changed or upset or misshapen when you're fasting. Do not be like the hypocrites when they do this. Put oil on your head, on your head. And when you're doing this, do this for the glory of God. It's in the same vein that he tells the people that are sitting there. And when do you pray? Do not pray like the hypocrites standing on the street corners and trying to get everybody's attention. Do not pray like them what you should do. And this is the part that I struggle with because you know I hate that language. But you hear Jesus saying it and you got to go, okay, cool. But what Jesus says is what you should do is, is you should pray in secret. Because the prayers that you have between you and God are your own. Do not pray 
like the hypocrites. Coincidentally, in the same sermon, before any of those others, he says, when you give alms, you should give with your left hand so that your right hand doesn't know what you're giving. Do not give as the hypocrites. For they've received their reward. You should do this because your, your reward is great in the kingdom of heaven. Giving in church is complicating. It's complicated. But it should be celebratory. Paul announces that Jesus Christ has ushered in a new spring of liberating life-giving, grace-abounding reality that transforms and triumphs over our past so that we don't wallow in it, but we live within it and we make different choices and we try to be different. Our journey does not end in the wilderness, church, but it ends at Easter. I want to take this one more step. Sin, for Paul, could be kind of tied to what rats were like in, the, in medieval Europe. I think if Paul was living at that time, I think he would be able to tie sin to what the rats were in medieval Europe. And yeah, I'm being gross on purpose. Those rats changed the world. It changed the way that churches did things. For example, baptism. Baptism was a practice that was done by the early church, but during the Middle Ages, the rats that were coming in were killing our babies left and right. There was such a high infant mortality rate that people were afraid that their babies would die before they could go to heaven. So they changed baptism. Why? Because we didn't know if that child was going to make it to the next day. They changed how we did worship because no longer could they meet in person. Sound familiar? For fear of contagious disease. The way that they did funerals was completely different. They would take the bodies outside of town and burn them with fear that people that touched it would die. All starting with rats going in and out of the churches and their streets and their homes. Contaminating everyone and anyone that it came in contact with. You know, if someone was just to focus in on the aspect of self-examination, you could look at how, world, how our world is so bleak. How frustrating it is. How angry our world is. You can see how there's such a bleak picture of how, how our world is bent towards evil and it has distorted God's peaceable kingdom. Economically, ecologically. In our own country, we fight amongst ourselves over things that have really no place in the kingdom of God, but yet we decide that that's important in the name of Jesus. In other parts of the world, racial injustice is an, an, an ever-present thing 
when you go to Ghana and Africa, when you go to Central America, when you go anywhere else in the world, and including in the United States, racial injustice is happening whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And on top of it all, you can see it live 24-7. It doesn't have to be on TV. It could be on your phones. You can see it everywhere you go. And the world changed as soon as we did news 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It makes it hard to see celebrations of revivals. It makes it hard to find those moments of God's love and compassion. But Paul gives us hope. He says that in the midst of all of this bleak nature, that Jesus becomes the antidote for restoration. And while you're watching 7.5 earthquakes happening in Syria and Turkey, while you're watching wildfires happening in California, while you're watching all of the angry faces and the finger pointing on the television, and you hear about the wars and stuff, there will be a 30-second clip of a child that has decided to do something beautiful for an entire community. And for just a moment, you can breathe, right? Through all the bleakness of the world, you get to see the love of God in someone. And they, it's a 30-second clip. It's, you know, that's all you can do on the news because happiness does not sell. But Jesus becomes the antidote of the plague that runs around our world that we call sin. It's through him that we are saved. Saved from having to give in to our human bent towards selfishness and self-centeredness, towards violence, towards unlove and ungrace. It's in that place that we get to have those 30-second clips of beauty. <laughs> and maybe every once in a while we'll find some great little Facebook post or a, a happy TikTok or Instagram. Just something beautiful that's happening inside of our world. And we feel good. And we find hope yet once again. And maybe, just maybe, once we put the phones down and maybe once we get away from the televisions, maybe when we're in the community and we're helping with the food pantry or we're helping with the children's programs or maybe when we're working with Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or maybe we're doing Caraway Street, maybe, just maybe, you might get to see the antidote for the plague that is existing in our world. You see, Lent is based off of two truths. We have to look at ourselves and say, how can I be a better Christian? And how can I celebrate being a part of Christianity? The world needs to see Jesus through you. Now, I can't leave this yet because I, I need to make sure that we say one more thing. It goes beyond the aspects of wearing the t-shirts and the bracelets and the, and the necklaces that say, I love Jesus and all of that stuff. I mean, that's, that's extremely important. And I, and I know that people do that and they say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but piety has nothing to do with that. And it does. 
Paul also says that if I'm going to brag, I should brag about being in the nature of Christ. So when you put those things on, recognize that you are representing something that is bigger than you, and that you could even imagine. The TV shows, the radio shows that we listen to, that doesn't make you a better Christian. The books that we read, that, that doesn't make us a better Christian. It, it's extremely helpful. And yes, we get to celebrate being in the presence of the divine when we do those things. But listening is, and, and watching is much different than doing. I think sometimes we get caught up in the fact of saying, well, we can't, we can't physically do anything. And I, and I say to you, well, at the very beginning of this sermon, we talked about the aspect of praying. If nothing else, if you can't do anything physically, do not deny the power of prayer. Do not deny the power of a phone call. Do not deny the power of the hand up rather than the hand out, even though handouts aren't bad either. But when we do these things, don't be like the hypocrites. Do it for the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.